Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Dr. Philip Hickman. Philip believes that part of leadership is about vision, focus, and discipline. Noah took 120 years to build the ark, and every day people called him crazy to build an ark in the middle of the desert. In education, we have to prepare our students for the digital future they will live in, and this change is like building an ark in the desert to educators. This current wave of leaders must stand strong and build and transform the education system. The other half of leadership is to function under ambiguity. The world is changing so fast, we can no longer learn mostly from our past. We have to establish principles, but anything else will be new territory. Dr. Hickman is a national award-winning transformational leader in K-12 education and educational technology. He is an author who wrote, Stop Dribbling Footballs. He invented a new educational instructional model, the K-16 Instructional and Technology Integration Model. The K-16 ITI model that is transforming teaching and personalizing learning within the classroom. Philip's obsession with personalized learning fuels his partnership with the U.S. Department of Education on the hashtag GoOpenMovement or Openly Licensed Educational Resources, OER. He is an AASA National Certified Superintendent and continues to be a leading authority, presenting at many of the top ed tech and personalized learning conferences in the nation. He is the founder and CEO of Mindable Solutions, LLC an edtech firm specializing in innovative platform designs, business consultation, and K-12 professional development. Currently, Dr. Hickman is a superintendent in Mississippi. He previously served as an assistant superintendent with the Houston Independent School District, an assistant superintendent in Kansas City, Missouri, and principal, assistant principal, dean of student positions in Chicago area, St. Louis, Missouri, and Southern Illinois. He has also completed consulting work with many different private, public, nonprofit organizations, and a professor at multiple institutions of higher learning in Illinois, Texas, and at Capella University. Dr. Hickman believes that leadership is about standing on your own and sometimes making unpopular decisions. Welcome, Dr. Philip Hickman. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, and you? I'm doing well. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes, I am. Awesome. So, Philip, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Well, my path to leadership actually started at a very young age. I was the neighborhood president at age 15. 
Um, I won a leadership scholarship at age 17 by President Bill Clinton. What? Uh, yeah. And then um, as I started my path after my academic pursuits, I've earned five graduate degrees and a doctorate. But before that, I was an assistant principal at age 25. And then I became a director of education. I was an assistant superintendent at Independent School District, which is the seventh largest. We had 300 schools, 210,000 students. And then at age 36, I became the superintendent where I'm currently at now in Mississippi. Wow. So you started very young. How did you learn about leadership? What was the foundation or the pivot? I think I was just a risk taker. And, you know, I was always taught kind of not to stand by and watch things happen without being a change agent. Mm -hmm. I can even remember my mother telling me stories when I was in third grade. She received a phone call from the principal of the school. Well, what I had done was the school had changed from regular plates to styrofoam plates. And I was against styrofoam plates at the time. And so I let a sit-in for the whole elementary school. <laughs> Everyone refused to eat lunch that day because the plates were styrofoam plates. And so I always had that kind of innate ability. You know, even during my pursuits in academic and working, I've also started two companies. I co-founded Legacy Virtual Academy, and that was a virtual academy, an alternative virtual school for students who were expelled or long-term suspended. And then I also started a technology company uh, called Mindable Solutions, which we have a few products coming out this summer. And then I'm a serial social entrepreneur. So, you know, started companies where I didn't get paid. I think my most recent now is the Mississippi Coding Academy, where I'm a co-founder. And we are able to gather people who have graduated from high school but for some reason, life happened and they didn't go to college. And we actually trained them in coding for an entire year. And after a year, they received jobs for fifty dollars to $70,000 a year as a programmer. So, you know, I've always been a risk taker, like I said, and really didn't want to sit back and let my community just happen. But I wanted to be a change agent in that community. And you certainly have. So I wanted to ask you something. So we had Dr. Peggy Brookins on the podcast recently. And one of the things that she said is that January babies tend to be leaders. So I just wanted to ask, were you born in January? No, ma'am. April the 9th. <laughs> and I wanted to test that because my goodness, since you were very young, you were a leader and you certainly were a risk taker. And that's awesome. So how would you describe your leadership style? You know, I would say, even though kind of talking about the things that I've done, my leadership style, it hinges on more of a horizontal leadership style. So it's not top down. It's, it's mm -hmm. real collaborative. But I think what causes me to do the things that I do is that I'm very futuristic. And so I always can see, no matter what situation, just kind of visionary. I can see the end goal mm -hmm. uh, and being futuristic and I live in the future. And so that really helps me to be in an organization and know where to take that organization. Very motivational, innovative. The other parts I think that have helped me and it really should help people in leadership is that I'm empathetic, discerning, and relational. Because leadership is about the people around you and the people who are involved. It's not about you. And I had to really learn that also at a young age. And so when you talk about how you had to learn it, tell us a little bit about that. See, when I say I was a risk taker, I really wasn't afraid to kind of dive in. And so I learned by doing. Mm -hmm. But I would say one of the things that I have a problem with is the lack of mentoring mm -hmm. that's going on. And, and kind of for a whole generation, seems like 
was just kind of neglected on the end of mentoring. And you can even see it now where I talk to people in leadership positions right now and, you know, they're on their way to be complete and have done some great things for years. I mean, decades. Right. But they're going to leave and their initiatives are going to go with them because, you know, I always ask them, okay, so who do you even have as a replacement? Or what group of people do you have that are in leadership positions and they cannot say? And it's sad. You know, when I talk to the older generation, I don't know whether the baton was dropped or it was never handed, you know, because they say, you know, that there's a generation gap between the arrogance of another generation and the humbleness of the older generation. And I, I just don't know. I just know that there's a lack of mentorship that leaders right now are kind of shooting in the dark. And there's a lot of mistakes that they didn't have to make or wouldn't have to make if there were effective mentoring. So, you know, this is interesting because it just coincides with you as a futuristic leader. You're thinking about the future and the others that you have spoken to, they didn't think about their legacy. And legacy seems to be important to you. Yes. Even if I think about some of my greatest accomplishments, it's really the amount of people that were under me that are in leadership positions or in innovative positions or doing things that they thought that they would have never done. I mean, that's important for a leader. It's not about what you have done. And it's not about you, because once you leave that organization, and you will, the organization should still be able to run successfully without you. And if not, that is not a mark of leadership. That is a mark of a hard worker who is doing. I am totally in agreement that as leaders, we need to think beyond ourselves and be intentional about leaving that imprint. Empower other people so that they can succeed, supersede, do even greater things. Right. Let's just say if we kind of focus on the topic of leadership and education. I think that there's a problem there because right now we have sat back and we discussed and we talked things to death. And I can remember five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, we had conversations that we're still having today. Yes. And as a leader, at one point in time, someone has to be bold and innovative because we have to think how long should a child in third grade, sit back and receive poor instruction. You know, they only have one time at third grade, right? And how long are we going to continue to educate kids for our past and not educate kids for their future? Right. We have to think about that. I mean, we're doing things that are so counterproductive to a child being successful in the future, and we haven't changed the education system, and we know it. We know we haven't changed it for, you know, 60 or 70 years. We're still using the same template of education to educate kids by the masses. And that is counterproductive to their future. It speaks to what you talked about before. We are having conversations about it. (laughs) You did say we're talking it to death, really. It just goes back to what you said. Maybe we should be more risk takers and start doing things that are different, not the same things, because that's crazy, right? Right. You know, I would say in education, one of the greatest things that we need to do is unlearn what we know. Because this is different. It's a future that a lot of people are unsure of, but there are core tenets that we know. There are core soft skills that children need to have. And as a leader, we need to set that up with our education system. We know that STEM is going to be important. We know that that technology is going to be important. We know that a strong form of intelligence is going to be the ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn. But yet we try to standardize the unstandardizable. (laughs) You know, humans are unstandardizable. And so we try to carry the same template all the way through for our children. As a leadership lesson, I would say that one of the great things that was said to me is that 
you have to learn how to function under ambiguity because things are ever changing. And especially in this generation where technology no longer has a five-year shelf life, you know, it has a one-year shelf life. You know, I was talking on another podcast the other day and I was saying how you have a new iPhone every eight months. And that's an advancement in technology every eight months. Mm-hmm. Think about the short shelf life that's going to happen for our children in the future. And to be able to have that ability to be flexible and not say one plus one equals two and that there are alternative ways to get to two. It's just that as leaders, we have to take that bold step and allow people to be outside their comfort zone, foster that culture of risk taking, you know, whether it's in the classroom or whether it's in industry. But we have to foster that culture of risk taking which falls under the umbrella of leadership skills. And so I love that. Thank you so much for that. Now, Philip, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Well, one was, once a task has just begun, never leave it till it's done. Be a labor, great or small, do it well or not at all. That inspired me as a leader because, you know, once you start something, whether it's minute or whether it's a great task that will bring you great recognition. You have to do it well. And I can remember times when I will go on speaking engagements and there are only a couple of people in the audience, but I spoke to them like it was an arena packed full. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing because the small things really count. But I think the second quote that was very important to me as a leader that really kind of changed my life, and this was more in the field of education, is that, On my worst day on the job, I'm still some child's best hope. Wow. Yeah. And that really impacted my life and touched my heart because no matter what I'm going through, I have to continue to push forward because people are dependent on it. Children are dependent on it. Their hope, their livelihood is dependent on the success of what we do up top. And you know, as much as we think about the future, and that's incredibly important, those two quotes speak about living in the present and serving who's before you. You're right. Okay. Thank you so much. Now, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I'm inspired by more of an innovative and cutting edge leader, someone who is also a relational leader. You know, I can think of great leaders of my time it always touched my heartstring when they did things when other people said they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't take failure as an option. And not that you don't fail in leadership. What I mean is failure as in giving up. That they saw something and they continued to strive to be successful. I was sitting on the airplane the other day thinking, and this is not normally associated with leadership, but if you think about the Wright brothers that invented the airplane, <laughs> that invented flying. Right. Think about that. Think about how many times people said, are you crazy? Or, <laughs> or do you have a license for this? Right. Are you going to, you know, you're going to hurt yourself. But instead, they saw the vision. They saw something that no one else saw. And they continue at it until they were successful. at it. And it wasn't flight like we have flight now where you're flying around the country. But just to go inches, miles, that was success. And that was innovative. That sparked the flame for someone else. And that's the type of leader that I want to be. As long as I'm sparking that flame for someone else, I think I've done my job. That's beautifully said. And I love that vision of the Wright brothers. Now, Philip, what's the best advice you've ever received? Well, the best advice I think I've ever received was 
that you're not a leader expert. There's no way that you're smarter than the collective group of leaders. What you are is a leader of experts. Let's just say in education, where people say you're the instructional leader. You're not the instructional leader. You're a leader of instructors Mm -hmm. because there's no way that you can be the leader of math, science, social studies, uh, geometry, you know, PE. There's no way you can. That collective group of leaders and instruction are smarter than you. And so your job is not to be the center. Your job is to help put people in the right seat on the right bus. So good to great, Jim Collins, and allow them to flourish. You're a resource provider. You serve. And so a lot of times we have leaders who they think that they're the expert, and they are an expert in their own right, but they try to lead through expertise. And it's almost like when people say, you know, a leader that's walking and talking and no one is following them, you're just walking and talking by yourself. So another advice is it's not about the years of experience. It's about the productive experience that you had. I say that because A lot of times people are put in positions just by default and it would destroy organization. When I was 25 and I had a a real wise superintendent and he decided, you know what? I've only been there two years at this district. And he said, you are a great leader and we really want to hire you as the assistant principal. And he said, let me talk for you. And so one time I just happened to walk around a corner and I heard, I mean, this expert teacher, she said it. She had her hands on her hips, everything. And she said to the superintendent, now I've been here 12 years and Dr. Hickman's only been here two. I believe that I should be the assistant principal. And he told her in her face, he said, you've been here 12 years and only had one productive year. Wow. Dr. Hickman has been here two years and had two productive years. So he's, so he's one year ahead of you. But the point was that a lot of times we value that someone has been there a long time, no matter how unproductive they were or no matter how much that they have been a thorn in the system, and we give them positions by default. And it's really about what's good for the organization what's good for that position. And it's about, again, understanding people's strengths and weaknesses and putting them in the right position to be successful. So what you're talking about is true. It happens all the time. And I think we need to start training in leadership skills. You spoke to them, you said they were soft skills, the adding value to people, the people skills, the relational skills. We're not really taught that. Communication. The communication. How to develop even if it's not a natural discernment, but understanding body language, understanding tonation of when people are speaking, those things are important. And then understanding empathy. If we don't know how to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and kind of imagine how this is going to affect people, then we're going to have a lot of failures as a leader. I know that I used to think I have the best ideas, (laughs) you know, and that this is going to work in this organization. But what you neglect as a leader is, no matter how good your ideas are, it's people that have to implement those ideas. And so if you don't have the level of buy-in, if you don't have the level of support, if you don't have the skills of helping people (laughs) align with the vision and having them believe that they came up with that idea, then that initiative is going to be half-heartedly implemented. The thing is to realize you don't have them and that you can learn them. Right. You have to know your Achilles heel. And so, you know, you have to know yourself. A leader cannot have an ego. 
kind of being the person that I am, you know, I was a five sport letterman, you know, very athletic, very competitive. And, you know, you want to win, you want to get the recognition for coming up with that idea or those kind of things. And right. that's not what it's about once you're at the level of leadership. Right. You get humbled a couple of times, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, like I said, you can have the best idea, you can come up with the best answer, and people will sabotage your idea because they felt like their idea was overlooked or they didn't have input or they didn't have a say. You know, those kind of things are important to learn and need to be intentional and overtly taught in leadership programs. Yes, which is lacking. And I absolutely agree. Empathy, listening skills, adding value to people, being a secure leader, you know, being thorough. I mean, all those wonderful, beautiful things that really, it's exponential. So we don't arrive. We continue to learn. So thank you so much for that. Now, Philip, you've been in many positions and I'm sure you've built many teams and have been a part of many teams. What does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build or sustain one? Well, let me tell you, one of the things that I think is important about building a team or having a good team. So we just talked about being a secure leader, right? right we just right. talked about a leader cannot have an ego. You have to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and you have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. You have to be comfortable that these folks around you in different positions are smarter than you in that respective area. Because if you surround yourself with everyone who thinks like you or who are not as sharp as you feel you are, then that doesn't help the organization. That doesn't help you process and think. And that doesn't help you make informed decisions. But in order to build that team, the other aspect of it is it deals with potential as well. And so not only do you need someone that is very intelligent and as smart as you in that area, but you have to be able to invest and build the capacity of your folks. So it has to be kind of an ongoing situation where there's ongoing learning because everybody has strengths and weaknesses. It's about adding to their strengths. It's also closing a gap in their weakness. You have to invest in people and build the capacity of them. Lovely. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? You know, there's a lot of challenges that I've experienced, but if I think of the main challenge or a big one that comes to mind would be when I was wanting to be in a leadership role and having a boss that I believe I was better than at that job. And most instincts would be to outshine your boss mm -hmm. or to kind of sit back and passively let your boss fail. But what I found out was that is the quickest way to either be held down or to be dismissed. One of the things that I had to learn is, no, you work hard to let your boss shine. And in turn, what happens is either your boss gets moved up and guess who they're gonna reach down to move up? That's you. Mm -hmm. Or for the next open leadership position, guess who's gonna be recommended? And it's gonna be you. This happens all the time that you always think that you have more skills or that you know more than your boss. You think that you can outdo your boss, but you have to strategically work with and make sure that your boss is successful and is shining, and then things will happen. The other challenge is learning how to be a, uh, a servant leader, hmm. learning how to provide resources and serve instead of being a doer. Because as a leader, you want to do it. You want to fix it. You want to solve it. You know how to. But again, that's not investing in people. That's not building the capacity of your staff. 
And that's not being a long-term successful leader that that organization will still continue to thrive because you're building and investing in people around you. Thinking about what a struggle it is to not get the credit for things you've done. That's a shift for leaders. That's something that we do have to learn. Yeah, what I've learned was that you in turn turn around and you do credit people. You don't just say, I, I, you do recognize your team. You do recognize the people that worked hard for you to be successful. And I tell you, that is, you talk about internal motivation for people under you. When they get recognized for work that they have done, they will continue to work their tell-offs to make sure that things are successful and things are done right. And conversely, if something goes wrong, then a good leader takes responsibility. You have to. Great. Thank you so much for that. Now, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? You know, I kind of alluded to it earlier. One of the greatest successes is really the number of leaders that I have developed. And when I say that, not only adults, but the children that I have impacted. Mm. You know, I can think of recently a young man that in eighth grade, they said that he was a terror. His freshman year, they said that this kid is probably the smartest kid in his freshman class. He doesn't come to school most of the time. He doesn't do any work, but on test day, he can get 100%. Hmm. And that kid kind of caught my eye because that means someone is not mentoring that child. And just for showing this child attention, telling this child that you believed in him, this child is now a straight A student at school every day, have no discipline records, only a sophomore, but has his eyes set on being an engineer and is hungry. He wants to be involved in any program, but that's what it's about. As a superintendent, it's still able to reach down to whoever's in the organization and make sure that everyone is growing. Hey leaders, this spring we will be launching free 30-minute chats with guests we've had on Master Leadership Podcasts. This is a wonderful opportunity to connect and ask your questions. So stop whatever you're doing, unless you're driving, then you'll want to pull over and text the word CHAT, that's C-H-A-T, to 516-219-9655. Again, text CHAT, C-H-A-T, to the number 516-219-9655, or register at masterleadership.org forward slash chat. So mentorship and coaching is extremely important to you. Mentorship and coaching is very important. In order to have a better society, I really think that people need to be grabbing people under their wing and helping them grow. It's all about growing people. Right. And what about if you're a leader and people aren't doing that in your organization for you? What's some advice you can give us? One is you have to be intentional and set up Mm -hmm. strategic venues for that to happen. And so in my organization, people know that it's important, but we have intentional programs set up that the adults are mentoring other adults. We have intentional goals. We have intentional models that are surrounded around growing people and investing in people. And so that becomes infectious. Once people really hold on to that vision and what's important and that, you know, we're in a helping profession, people really start to hold to that model of mentorship. Some of the things that I've done is a byproduct of it. So even in my hiring practices, the hiring practices 
are that we have pipelines for people who want to be in those positions. In those pipelines, we set people up with uh, mentors. Mm -hmm. So now you have leaders that know that there are positions that are coming open that are comparable to their position or maybe higher than their position, but yet they're investing and growing people within the organization. That says a lot. And then you have people who are under and they respect that and they know that this is an organization that's built around investing in people and growing people and making sure that the right person is touted for the job. You know, so therefore you don't have people who are upset when people move up. And you have a pool of individuals that have a wealth of leadership skills and positions that they may not be leaders in. And then they lead because every position you should be leading in. Every position calls for some aspect of leadership. And so to have a whole organization full of people with those skills and it was intentionally done, that's when you start having a well-run organization. Philip, I love that you've created that kind of culture in your organization. Thank you so much for that. Now, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? I would say that you have to be a change agent. You cannot let the climate take over you. Mm-hmm. If you look in education, it kind of has a shield or wall. And if you start out with a, a new teacher or a student teacher, they have all these great ideas of what they're going to do. And then in a few years, that student teacher looks like everyone else in that group. Yes right? Because that culture is so thick that any time you take a risk or you do any innovation, it's frowned upon. And it's frowned upon because sometimes you have people in the field of education that don't want to change, right? Change is hard for anyone because they have to give up something that they're used to doing or having or that they're comfortable with, right? So whether it's those 10-year-old lesson plans that you're still teaching the same lesson and this new person is coming in and they're technology rich and they understand that there's different instructional methods and instructional styles and all those kind of things. And that means that you have to give up those comfortable lesson plans that you memorize and you know by heart that you have to learn something new. All those things go into change and it goes into creating that culture of resistance to change. But you have to be that change agent because there are other people who are passively agreeing to the culture, but they won't change as well. And they just wasn't strong enough to stand up. So I've encountered some things and um, I'd love your take on this. And I'm not sure if this is a thing, but I'm encountering what I would describe as an organizational ego, right? So you meet amazing people, you encounter leaders who are just amazing. And all of a sudden you observe them in a meeting and it's a completely different person. And there's a wall that comes up and a shield and a resistance, what you're talking about. And so any innovation that comes in or any change or of thinking or different ways of thinking that comes in, it's almost like they try to change it to fit their organization. And that's how organizations don't grow or that's how organizations kind of hit a brick wall. So, you know, I'm kind of going back and forth to education and industry. Mm -hmm. If you look at industry, you know, those businesses who do not change with time, they fail. We watched large organizations that were the top of the world, Sears, and you would never tell me that Sears would have failed back in the days. You know, they had their own tower. You know, it's, even, it's called Willis Tower now, but it used to be called mm-hmm. Sears Tower. But not changing with the online catalog hurt them. And mm-hmm. so, you know, anytime that organizations don't change with time, they don't accept innovation, then those are the organizations that fail. The same thing in education. The problem is education has stood the width of time, 
but it, the product that it's producing is not an appropriate product for the future that they have to work in and live in. Right. And mm -hmm. because our kids have to learn how to evolve in the digital ecosystem. And we're still talking about things that we know through research is not okay. Like left brain, right brain. When the research says now, no, we actually use all of our brain. Like right. learning modalities. You know, this is a audio learner. This is a visual learner. Right. No, everybody can learn more when you layer instruction. So if you just lecturing and you layer it with a video and you layer it with hands-on and, and do all those layers, everybody retains information. Everyone benefits from that. But in education, we stick to what we know. And it's not a good product that we're going to produce. Let's even talk about soft skills. I'm going to push back a little bit here. Okay. And I know, and I understand we've titled them and named them, and this is what we know. They are soft skills. But language is extremely important. To label them soft skills, to me, dismisses the importance of these social-emotional skills. So if, right. we, if we talk about social-emotional learning, actually now, social-emotional learning kind of fits under the category of digital citizenship. So digital citizenship kind of has two areas. Again, our kids have to evolve in a digital ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And as leaders, we have to be okay with that. We know the communication, the way things are communicated, the way information is ingested is through a digital means, right? right? And a multimedia means. Well, if you look at the social emotional development, uh, digital citizenship, the reason why this is so important, because even if you look at our political environment right now, it plays out. And we know that social emotional learning is so important in order to have civil discourse, right? I mean, right now we have people that use technology as a means to attack without verifying the information. And then we also have an environment where we don't understand how media affects us. For, right. And, and our children need to understand how, one, their actions on social media has long-term consequences and effect, and the things that they do on social media also affects others, <laughs> right? That's you need, right. You need to be able to predict the things that you're doing and, and how that affects other people, you know, those categories of bullying and, and all those kind of things. But as a leader, right now in the field of education, we're ignoring those skills that are important for our society because we don't want to take the bold steps to say, okay, within your curriculum, I know math is important. I know language arts is important but we also need to look at educating the whole child. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to start looking at children as human beings. Right. Do you think fear has something to play here? Fear has a lot to play. The fear of the unknown, mm -hmm. the fear of, of feeling inadequate. When I talked about a leader, can I have an ego? You know, there's sometimes that I, I feel inadequate, but you have to be strong enough to move aside and let people lead. You have to be strong enough to move aside and let people be innovative and take risks. Love that. Thank you so much. Now, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? A lifelong learner to me is, is someone that continues to work on their trade, right? That continues to learn information. And also that information is not just in the context or content that they're being successful in or that they're working in. You have to learn a wide range of information to be well-rounded. And so for me, I'm always ingesting information. I'm always learning. Right now, what I've learned about is augmented reality. Mm. 
one is because it's coming on the horizon, but two is that's going to be, you know, a huge factor in education. And I want to be prepared for it. I want to be prepared to support it. Can you explain a little bit about augmented reality? Augmented reality, in some sense, is different from virtual reality, which is an immersive media that you're inside of a headset and your whole environment is virtual. But augmented reality is actually changing aspects of the environment that you're in through immersive technology. So you're able to layer technology on the environment that you're looking through. So whether it's through lenses or whether I have an iPad and I hold an iPad up to my wall and I'm able to see it with picture frames or those kind of things. Or Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go. Or if I'm in an education system in a classroom, mm-hmm. uh, you know, teachers are soon going to understand or going to get to experience that there are more enriched ways to teach certain concepts. If I'm teaching about physics and a child is able to hold up their iPad and manipulate the environment, an earth or a heart or any of those kind of things, a, a scientific concept, an atom, they're able to manipulate it right then and there in their environment, then that's going to enhance learning. That's going to engage students so that children can retain that information and critically think through it and apply it. Love it. This is a doozy. If there were something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be? One is, again, like I said before, that we have to unlearn what we know. Mm -hmm. And so I would really change the instructional model. The instructional model of just sit and get where you're kind of lecturing. You know, I would change it more into a center model, center rotation. But I also will change the mindset of educators. In a sense, I guess a leadership kind of style that I have is that I believe that you need to shoot first and aim later. It's really we have to just take the steps into the unknown. We don't know, so we can't aim right, for it. Right, And what we're doing right now, we're so calculated. We're so educated that we're trying to aim. We're trying to be so precise. And time is going by. And just like I just said before, you know, how long does a child have in third grade? Hopefully just one year, right? Mm -hmm. So it's upon us to get it right. And getting it right doesn't mean sitting back and continue to be so calculated that we just wasted that child's fourth grade year or we just wasted that child's fifth grade year because what we continue to do is kind of have a Swiss cheese effect where kids have holes in their learning because we didn't equip them with the necessary skills for them to be successful in the future, right? And so we have to just take that step and then we have to collect the data along the way and we can aim, okay? And we can get it right. But we just have to take shoot first in that unknown and aim right. with it. And that speaks to who you are as a leader, a risk taker. And taking those calculated risks and not overthinking it is certainly where we should be going. Because, exactly. again, it's what you said. We don't know the future. But at least we're moving towards preparing our students for that. Right. It's just like right now. So let's say in CTE, which is a replacement for Voltec, Career Technical Education. So a lot of heavy programs, if you go into urban schools, they're teaching welding. And I'm not saying welding is not appropriate, but just say they're teaching welding. And we know right now that there are robots being designed to already weld. You know, we know that assembly lines have changed to where they're not, you know, being the welders on the assembly line, that they're doing other things. And we know that children are going to have to learn how to work alongside robots. But the point of a CTE program or the previous Voltec program was we have children that we felt were hands-on learners, right? That they learn best through their hands and, and creativity. Well, that's the same person then that should be in a makerspace class or learning coding and programming, 
right? Like, right. And don't get me wrong, if you teach them well, then they're going to have a job today, but they're not going to have a job tomorrow. But they will have a job if they understand programming. And those kind of creativity and critical activities are makerspace to be able to create the robot and build and those kind of things. Those are the skills that we need. And we know that in education. But we're afraid to take that risk. What are people going to say? We just bought all this money worth of equipment, right? Right. What, what's the public going to say that we don't have automotive mechanic or Voltec classes, you know? But mm-hmm. what really matters is, are we preparing kids for their future to be successful? Are we preparing productive citizens? I certainly see how fear stands in the way and it continues to, but hopefully conversations like this helps us to move forward. Let me say something though. That The reason why that fear is there because there are some strong consequences mm. all the way around in leadership positions. One is you got to realize that you're not the boss unless you have your own startup or those kind of things. But you know, you have a board and the board listens to public opinion, especially if you're in the education field. And so that public opinion has consequences. And so what people don't understand is this, when expectation changes, morale changes. So as a leader, if you come in and make changes for the better, you have higher expectations because that's changed. Morale is gonna go south. Mm -hmm. But your job as a leader, What is you cannot belly flop. You have to dive in. And what I mean by that is if you belly flop in water, it's painful. It's going to hurt. But if you dive in, it doesn't hurt. Why? Because you actually are giving the water time to adjust. You have to be calculated and you have to make sure that you're bringing along everyone. Mm -hmm. But it's not saying that you have to be slow. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. It has to be a tempo that your change that you're going to make has impact you know, real-time impact. And so you have to figure out what aspects of that culture or what aspects of that change need to happen first. But if you do all in one change, that doesn't give people time to adjust. You're belly flopping. You're going to fail. You're going you're gonna to be hurt. And you're going to hurt the organization. But if you dive and you give that water time to adjust so it's calculated, it's precision, it's strategic, mm-hmm. you know, you have to educate your board. You have to educate your employees. And then you build the plane while flying. I didn't say build the plane and then fly. You build your plane while flying. Great. Well said. Thank you so much for that. Now, Philip, what have you read that our listeners should read and why? There's a book out there called Stop Dribbling Footballs by Dr. Philip Hickman. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a good leadership book. Other books that I've read, Leadership on the Line, and so it's Stand Alive Through The Dangers of Leading, I think it's an excellent book because it talks about the pitfalls of leadership and being innovative. You know, it kind of explains some of those things in more of an academic way. Great. So you have a lot of responsibilities, Philip. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? Not to be simplistic, but really to pray and exercise. I think on a daily basis that you have to find that balance. You can't overwork it or overdo it. And especially if, as a leader, you are responsible for a lot. You're responsible for people, the livelihoods of people. In education, you're responsible for not only the livelihoods of people, but you're responsible for the future. Right. Right, children, right? Right. To me, you should take that seriously. That's a lot of long-term responsibility that you can corrupt a society or you can make and help improve a society. And so with that comes a level of stress. Anytime that you have high expectations and you're moving forward, You know, you have worries, you have a stress. And so you have to find that 
there are different support structures. Some is hope. And that's what I mean by pray. You have to have that hope that there's a bigger picture, that there's a greater cause. And then you have to take care of yourself. And so that's what I mean by exercising. So however you take care of yourself, whether it's yoga, whether it's running, whether it's lifting weights, watching your eating habits, all those kind of things make you a better person in order to lead your organization. Because you don't do the organization any good if you're burnt out, if you don't have balance in your life, right? If you're unhealthy and you have health issues that's causing you to not be in a good mood or, you know, emotionally and physically feel down. And so those things are important to one, find that balance and also being able to find your happiness, you know, whatever it is that makes you happy. I try not to start my day off by turning over and picking up my cell phone. I know that everyone has texted me. I know that everyone has emailed me. That's difficult. (laughs) But to start your day off like that, you know, it's inappropriate. So I start my day off with a prayer. And then my next step is music. Music is what calms me. And then I take that long shower where I'm able to think about the future. It's because, you know, that shower kind of hits every senses. What brings me joy, really, is thinking about the future, thinking about all the awesome things that are going to be invented and those kind of things. I mean, you find your happiness. Those things make me happy. And then I do a little exercise and I start my day. Another thing that makes me happy, and I'm just fortunate in the field of education, you know, I try to start my day off in a school building because that's the reason why I'm here, the kids. That's my why right now. During the summers or those kind of things when I'm working on my startups or my businesses, I start my day off around people or my employees to really see what they're doing to kind of get a feel and, and those kind of things. Before I go to my office and do those clerical, everyday, organizational, managerial type things. I love how you know yourself so well and how important being happy is. Because it is a responsibility to take care of ourselves because we have such a responsibility to take care of the future. I agree. Um, And this is important because so many leaders have a hard time with this question, with balance, with mindset. And the students, they're looking at us as leaders. And so we have to be that example. So I love what you said about maintaining focus, either prayer, meditation, the exercise, the having hope, the music, you know yourself so well. And as a leader, the hardest person to lead is always ourselves. It is. is. And if I would give leadership advice, I would say one of the things that you have to really understand is power. Hmm. I would say there's two types of power in leadership. So one is the authority and the other is influence. Hmm. And so a lot of people what they do is they lead through authority power because I have the right, because I'm the boss, I have the legal right to make this decision. And that's a hard leader to work under. Right. You have to have a balance. Influential power is more important in getting something done than it is positional power or authority power. That's something that young leaders don't understand. They got the position, they have the power, and now they want to slam the gavel down. And, you know, you have to learn that the power through influence, it's very important. It's something that you cannot overlook. Hmm. So, Philip, I know that leadership was in your sights since you were very young. But if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? That's a good question. I mean, the advice that I would give the younger me, you know, it would probably be, and actually it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, Stop Dribbling Footballs. And it's an easy read and you can get it on Amazon.com. 
it's a leadership book, both for adults and for students. Excellent story. But the point of it is you cannot take the same set of skills and try to play a different game using those skills. I had a group of kids in class in the urban core in the inner city. And one of the things is they just kept doing, they tried to play the game of school using out of school rules. Mm. And I told the kids, I, I just gave them an analogy. I said, now, if we're playing basketball, we're at a championship game and I'm going around tackling people. Is that smart or is that a little crazy? And they're like, that's crazy, Dr. Hickman, that's crazy. And I said, exactly. It's not you, but it is just as crazy to try to come to school and play the game of school using out-of-school rules. And I mean, people's mouths dropped. Powerful. You know, I said, if you're excited in church, you know, you may wave your hand and close your eyes. Tears may come down. But if you're excited at a football game, you know, you're yelling and screaming. You know, both you're excited and you do it and, and you are able to code switch in that environment. The way you talk around your grandmother is different than the way you would talk with your friends in the neighborhood. So, you know, it's about code switching. One is about understanding for an adult. It's about understanding that child or understanding where people are coming from. Because it's a story about a kid named Joe. The guy who illustrated it was the guy that did the Rugrats and the first 64 episodes of The Simpsons. So it's well illustrated. And it's a kid in the crib and he's surrounded by basketball posters. And of course, the little you know, toy above the crib is, you know, basketballs and those kind of things. And, and he starts to get real good at this game. And then it kind of takes a transition where the young man, Joe, he's getting on a bus and he's going to a different game, you know, just like a kid going to school for the first time. And he's on the bus and he has a basketball uniform, a basketball in one hand, and the kids have a football uniform and a helmet in their hand. And so, you know, he understands that this is not the appropriate game that he's supposed to be playing. But but basically, he kind of goes through when he tries to enter and he tries to dribble football and, and those kind of things. And it took a coach to kind of give direct instruction. And it really helped Joe outside this environment. So, you know, you really have to get the book to read about it and get the concepts. And it's an aha moment. I think that every leader should have it. Every educator definitely should have it. And every student in education should have it because it spans across socioeconomical environments and it spans across leadership content. My point was, if I go back and tell the younger me, I would say, you know, Philip, you need to stop dribbling football. And what that meant for me was I was a very strong leader, kind of took the bull by his horns. What I didn't understand is that's appropriate for certain contexts and that scares people in other contexts. Right. Right. And so it doesn't mean that I have to change being a leader or disrupt my leadership style, but I do have to change the delivery of my leadership style because I really thought it was about me and it's not. It's about influencing everyone else to align with that vision, right? right? And to get them to believe in that vision and to have them to believe that they came up with those aspects of that vision. So I would say, you know, as a leader, you have to stop dribbling football and you have to understand the rules of the game that you're in and you have to play that game effectively. And you're at a disadvantage if you don't understand the rules. So I had to become a student of every arena that I want to play in with being a server leader. Because again, it's about the people, right? It's not about you. Now, Philip, you mentioned at the beginning an organization that you started, Mindable Solutions. Yes, Mindable Solutions. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Mindable Solutions is a technology company. And right now we're doing a lot of ed tech 
And so we have two products that are coming out. One is a social emotional simulated video game. And the other one is a immersive media reader. And so the immersive media reader probably is going to be the top product and it's going to change the face of how we read and ingest information. It really fits this generation style of having mixed immersive media in a reading experience. And if our listeners wanted to learn more about Mindable Solutions, how could they do that? Through our websites, uh, mindablesolutions.com, M-I-N-D-A-B-L-E solutions.com. Perfect. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't talked about? If we're looking at aspiring leaders or people that are already in leadership, I would say go into it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a lot at stake. The second thing I would say is start mentoring no matter what level you're at. We have to start mentoring. There are people that have a lot of great ideas. They have people that have a lot of great experiences and understand and they need to pass that down or pass that to the side or pass it up. Right. And the other thing is that as a aspiring leader, you need to learn how to coach up. The person that's leading ahead of you, you need to learn how to coach up and give them the information so that they can be successful. Love that. Philip, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Hey, I thank you for inviting me to the Master Leadership. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.